Hello and welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian Dinovellis and we are brought to you by the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club, the longest running softball club in North Jersey. They have a proven track record for getting players to the next level. They currently have 21 alumni playing NCAA softball at the D1, D2, and D3 levels. Get in touch with Bob Germano at NorthJerseyVipers.com. Well, what a week it was in a tri-state yet again. Let me just say this. Rumors of St. John's death have been greatly exaggerated. They have suddenly resurfaced. They have risen up from the Patino tongue lashing, all right, being publicly humiliated by their head coach. Apparently, they they talked about it behind closed doors. The players, obviously, their feelings were hurt. Obviously, word got back to their head coach. He apologized publicly. He came out two days later and publicly took uh, the blame and said he was wrong and said this season is on him. Uh, Better late than never. I will say that. All right. I give Patino credit. He came out and apologized. Thought it should have been sooner. But look, this is Rick Patino. He has been doing this all season long. Calling out players publicly. Calling out Brady Dunlap. Saying he's physically weak. Calling out the captain, Joel Soriano. And saying everyone else on his team gives effort, not him. Well, this time it caught fire. And this time it 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 really, really bit him in the ass but somehow this team has responded and somehow this team has put together a two-game win streak including their most impressive win and most important win of the season over Creighton number 15 Creighton we will get to the Johnnies we'll talk about them in a bit we will talk about UConn stop the presses UConn has lost a game first time in two months Dan Hurley then then hurled uh, threats back at the crowd in Creighton and Omaha as they were they were apparently drunk and unruly. And Hurley told him in no uncertain terms, you guys come down here. There's going to be repercussions. Uh, Dan Hurley, you could take the kid out of Jersey City, but you can't take the Jersey City out of the kid. Well, they responded. I mean, that was the bet of the year. That was the bet of the year. UConn bouncing back, money line, give the whatever it was, 10 and a half points. I mean, they, they, it was close. We knew it would be, but UConn pulled away for a 24 point win. We'll talk about the Huskies. Seton Hall, their NCAA train continues to stay on the track with a workmanlike win over Butler. We'll talk about them. And Princeton is tied for the Ivy League lead once again. Lots to talk about in the Tri-State and lots to talk about in the MAC, the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. Look, the MAC is as wide open as it's ever been. I've been saying it since the beginning of the year, and there are so many teams that are involved at the top. Who better to talk about that than a man who has been covering this conference for years? Uh, I've been on this path of sports broadcasting and going to games for years. And the great part about going to games in person is you get to meet 
a lot of great writers and broadcasters and just people who are just nice people. And one of those is Jaden Daly of DailyDoseOfHoops.com. Jaden, so nice to get you on and finally get you on the Tri-State Podcast. Thanks for doing this. Oh, my pleasure, Brian. Thank you for having me. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time now, and obviously through our mutual work at Seton Hall and Rutgers, we've gotten to know each other over the years. The honor and the pleasure is absolutely mine, and I'm thrilled to be of some kind of assistance here for you. I'll see how much I can give you. Hopefully, oh, it'll be a lot. I, I, I Listen, your knowledge of the MAC is is second to none as far as I'm concerned. How long have you been writing and doing your blog by the way folks uh give him a follow on twitter at daily dose of hoops and also you can check out his blog daily dose of hoops blogspot.com daily dose of hoops dot blogspot.com Jaden, how long have you been doing it and what made you get into it well i, I started in the business doing play-by-play in college at St. John's in 2007, I started late my senior year, actually did that for a year. And then after I graduated, I still did play by play for another year. And I, I do it on the side as well, looking for a, a full-time D one basketball kid hasn't been easy. So two years later in 2009, I set the website up just writing a little bit about everything until I found the niche. I started doing college basketball exclusively in 2010. And then, in 2011, when I saw some other, other local sites, uh, Big Apple Buckets, which has since shut down, was the flag bearer for the NEC. I saw some opportunities with the MAC and some of the local programs like Iona, like Manhattan, like the St. Peter's. And then in 2011, my MAC coverage started to take off. And now 13 years covering the conference, 15 years with the site, 17 years in the business. I feel old, but the game keeps me young. It's not just the Mac, right? We see each other at Princeton games, Princeton Rutgers, uh, Seton Hall, St. John's. So you're getting around to all of these. How many games have you covered this year, Jaden? Oh, yeah, I do a lot of Big East and Big Ten. You're right. Uh, this past Sunday before we recorded Rutgers, Maryland was number 73 on the year for me. I've done over 100 a few times. I'm trying to cut back a little bit as I get older and start approaching 40 in a couple of years. I don't have the same mileage on my tires. I, I feel like an NFL running back in, this, in a sense. So, <laughs> You I'm know what? Just keep gonna... rotating them, Jaden. You, you, you got this. You still have the energy. <laughs> Appreciate that, Brian. I'm still looking to do about 100, maybe 105 this year when it's all said and done and the dust settles on the national championship, but we'll see what the next, you know, five or six weeks may hold. Well, we're, we're going to get some team from this area in the NCAA tournament from the Mac for sure, Jaden. And uh, what has been your impression of what has gone on? It looked like Quinnipiac was going to not run away with it, but win comfortably. And suddenly they've run out of gas they have lost four games in a row, and on Sunday, they lost again, and Fairfield took advantage of the opportunity. Quinnipiac lost at Ryder, which is trending up, and Fairfield took business at home, and now, lo and behold, Monday morning, Fairfield's in first place by a half game over Quinnipiac. What has happened to Quinnipiac? 
Well, it's been a wide open Mac all season. I've been saying it all year. Nobody really knew what to expect from the conference this year. I think Quinnipiac suffered from a combination of perhaps peaking too early and also playing the easier part of the conference schedule in its first half. Now they're going through the the second rotation around the league. You have teams that are maybe figuring them out a little bit, like Ryder did on Sunday. They get Iona on Friday in New Rochelle. They got through the Buffalo trip early in in the regular season, so that's not as much of an issue. But I think with Quinnipiac, it's just a combination of teams getting them the second time around, knowing how to defend Tom Pecora's three-guard lineup. Fairfield did an excellent job with it on Friday in the national television game on ESPNU. The Stags have been there all year. They they started out undefeated in Mac play and lost to – well, they started out 0-2, actually. St. Peter's is the one who started undefeated. Fairfield started out having lost to Siena, and then the Stags have – kept themselves near the top of the, of the leaderboard and just haven't gone away. I think that's the biggest credit to what Chris Casey has done in Fair, at Fairfield. And Quinnipiac is still going to be a, a force to be reckoned with in the tournament, Brian. It's just a, a bad stretch and a bad time. Look, they have one of the leading scorers in the conference and, and Matt uh, Belonk, Belonk. Who, who has just had a phenomenal season, right? He, he's really doing some some great things there. And when you have a player like that, who's going to be a first team all league player, you know that he's going to keep you in a lot of games. Uh, they won earlier this year at Fairfield, which was a, a, a huge win. They held on for a two point win. But then Fairfield turned around and in a nationally televised game on Friday night at a sold out arena in Hamden. It was Fairfield that turned the table and really served notice that, hey, you know, we are 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 at the top for a reason and it's our turn to go into your building. Were you at that game, Jaden? I was not. I was actually at Ryder Friday night. So I was watching the Fairfield Quinnipiac game on my way back from South Jersey. And what impressed me was how disciplined the stats played. Quinnipiac didn't shoot its first free throws of the night, Brian, until about three minutes to go in the game. And it wasn't a case of home whistle. It wasn't It wasn't anything to do with the referees. Fairfield just played very smart, very disciplined. They had four fouls down the stretch and could afford to give two in the final minutes. And Quinnipiac just had some costly turnovers, some costly four and five point swings earlier in the second half that Fairfield took advantage of and was able to hold on and shut the door on. We're not going to let that be known that you were driving back probably, you know, somewhere along the 95 corridor and, and watching a game on your phone. That didn't happen, right, Jaden? Oh, no, I don't I don't drive, period. I, if, if I'm in a car coming back from a game, somebody else is driving me anyway, so... There you go. I, okay, good. I had, I had full control of my phone while... The guy driving me back was on Route 1. (laughs) (laughs) And we know what it's like driving in traffic and uh, hitting all those lights on Route 1. Not fun. Uh, Okay, so so Quinnipiac, you know, has to try to find the, the, the win column again over the last week and a half. Meanwhile, Fairfield is is trending up. And can they hang on in the final you know, week or so, week and a half of conference play. Do you think Fairfield will will take that one spot? 
they can. I, I don't want to make a prediction right now, Brian, because everything is still so wide open. Any of five different teams can still win this regular season a game and a half from first to fifth between Fairfield, Quinnipiac, St. Peter's, Marist, and Niagara, who fell off after a loss to Canisius on Friday. Niagara was 7-0 and on the road before that loss to the Golden Griffins. So Greg Paulus has done an excellent job with the Purple Eagles. Anybody can win this conference. and There's still four more game days, Friday, Sunday, this coming weekend as we record at the end of February and then a Thursday, Saturday in the first week of March before conference tournament week heats up. Five teams can still win it, and maybe Ryder can still get in there at 9-8. and How about Ryder? All right, this team was predicted number one to win the MAC in the beginning of the year. Uh, one of the best players in the conference, and I believe it was the preseason player of the year in Mervyn James, who's mm-hmm. who's still playing like that. Ryder has suddenly figured things out, uh, and they showed and served notice that hey, guys, you know we were picked number one for a reason. Don't count us out just yet. When they beat Quinnipiac at their building, and we know how hard it is to win at the Bronx Zoo for a visiting team, uh, Ryder said, you know, like you said, not so fast, guys. We're in this picture as well. What have they done to turn things around? Yeah, and it's very timely that you asked about Ryder because I featured them in in my Mac Monday recap this morning. I spoke to Kevin Baggett after the Iona game on Friday, and he, he said, that riders just had to learn how to get to where it is now, going through a, a very tough non-conference schedule with teams like Marquette, Maryland, and Nebraska in the early part of the schedule for the Bronx, and then having a majority of freshmen and sophomores who needed to find themselves and find their roles. It was a longer adjustment process than I think anybody would have envisioned. And you can say that about a lot of teams in in college basketball, not just in the area or in the conference, but it was just a, a longer feeling out, a longer adjustment process that now appears to have hit its best stride. Ryder looks really good. It started with a 61-57 win over Mount St. Mary's. Then two days later, they don't shoot the lights out at Manhattan, shoot 70, 76% from the field and put up 104 points. They shut down an Iona team that was without Greg Gordon, who was left the program for personal reasons. That happened back on Thursday. So Iona will be without his services for the remainder of the season. And then followed up with a 10-point win over Quinnipiac, which I think was maybe the most convincing statement that Ryder has arrived. Mervyn James went for 30, and his supporting cast, which has always been good, has really picked itself up over the last couple of weeks. Atlantic City is a 45-minute drive from Ryder, so they're going to be the home team in AC for the MAC tournament. And if they can capitalize on it, it's theirs for the taking. The only problem is Ryder has only been to the, past the quarterfinals once in the last 15 years. Uh, they did knock off Iona and in the quarterfinals, right? They did knock them off and, and Rick Patino a couple of years ago. So they've had some experience there, but they still have to do that Buffalo trip, Jaden. You know, that that always tricky Niagara, Canisius, and then end up with St. Peter's at the end. But Kevin Baggett, kudos to him. This is a team that started out with a brutal, I mean, brutal non-conference, right? At some point, Mm -hmm. they lost seven straight games. Uh, You know, they played, like you said, Marquette, 
Nebraska, Duquesne, Maryland. This team started out 3-11. and 11. And 0-3 in the MAC. And 0-3 in the MAC. Did you talk to Kevin about, you know, how he kept morale up? Yeah, he he mentioned they they just wanted to throw their freshmen and sophomores into the fire. They they had to and really see what they had to see what they could give them, and then they were just waiting on a breakthrough, and it just happened to have come at this moment. Okay, so look out for Ryder. How about St. Peter's? There's a team that that lost Corey Washington, I believe, for a game or two games, and and he's clearly you know a first team All Mac player. Uh, when he is going, that sophomore is dynamite, and St. Peter's is is right there at ten and six in conference play, and a team that that like you said, any one of those top five can can make some noise. But they are breathing down. I should say eleven and six. They are breathing down the backs of Quinnipiac and Fairfield as we speak. Yeah, St. Peter's has really surprised me this year. I really didn't know what to expect from them. And, and even watching them for 40 minutes, you don't know what to make of them. But just like John Dunn's teams, just like Shaheen Holloway's teams, Bashir Mason has a group whose identity is no different. They're going to beat the hell out of you for 40 minutes. And you have no choice but to adapt to their terms and their tempo and see if you can survive for 40 minutes. It's going to be a, a Jersey City street fight when you get on the floor with them and they've used that style to their advantage and you can't argue that there is any one player more important to his team in the conference than Corey Washington has been for St. Peter's. When he was out of the lineup for a couple games, they looked completely different. They looked like a team that would probably be figured out and, and end up in the opening round on Tuesday. But with him, the way he sets the tone for this team there's no telling just how far this group can go. If Washington's healthy, St. Peter's has just as good a shot as anybody to, to make it to Saturday night. And Latrell Reed, the 50-year senior who is one of the few holdovers from the Elite Eight team that Shaheen Holloway built, has been a much more vocal and much more noticeable senior leader than I think anybody who paid attention to New Jersey basketball or the MAC could have expected this year. He, he's been excellent. I was going to ask you about Latrell Reed because every time he's out there, right? I mean, he he's a triple-double threat, you know, not necessarily right there, but he fills the stat sheet with a little bit of everything, uh, points, rebounds, assists, steals. His experience, like you said, and his leadership, uh, you can't uh, get a better leader for this team. Absolutely not. And his experience having been on that Elite Eight team is helping a group of, of younger players and maybe role players that transferred in and are still trying to figure themselves out like a Roy Clark, like a Marcus Randolph, helping them find their way and get acclimated to what it's like to be a successful college basketball team. Now, this group is going to tell you that it hasn't won anything yet, but 11-6 and six for a team that was picked second to last in the conference, Bashir Mason is one of several on the coach of the year ballot this year in the Mac and rightfully so. So coach of the year, like you said, Chris Casey, interim head coach at Fairfield, uh, you know, gets the job late and, and has turned this team uh, really into not only a winner in the Mac, but they're having one of Fairfield's best seasons in a decade. Tom Pacor recently got a contract extension and uh, is locked up there. And, and Quinnipiac 
at one point was off to, I believe, its best start since 1966 when they were Division II. Uh, you mentioned Bashir Mason. I mean, you can go, you can't go wrong with any one of those three right there, Jaden. Right. Or Dred Paulus or John Dunn. It, Thank it's you. Been, it's been that wide open. So St. Peter's finishes the year. I'm looking at their schedule right now. Manhattan, who obviously has had better times and is at the bottom of the, the Mac. Uh, then March 7th, they have to go to Lawrenceville and face Ryder, their, their old New Jersey rival. And, and that game is going to be huge for uh, conference seating and standings. And then they end the year at home against Quinnipiac. I mean, the schedule in terms of who they play at this time, I, I kind of like that. If I'm Bashir Mason saying, let's go, let's see where we're at. Yeah, and they get Ryder with Washington. They didn't have him the first time in Jersey City, and Ryder won that game. So that's going to be something to monitor. And I don't believe they had Washington for Quinnipiac either. I have to look, I have to look back at that. And when Quinnipiac won in Hamden, it's a, a very interesting stretch. You, you argue Ryder and Quinnipiac might be a tough stretch for St. Peter's to end the year. The turning point for this group, and I forgot to mention it a couple minutes ago, was right before Christmas when they played Division Three Kane and near, nearly lost that game. Kane gave them a great game for 40 minutes. St. Peter's escaped with a three-point win. And when I spoke to Bashir Mason a couple weeks later after they beat Iona for the first time, he said that that was the rallying cry in the locker room. They haven't forgotten about that game. It was a wake-up call for this team in terms of what it needed to be and where it needed to go to get to that point. And what we've seen from a 5-0 and start to conference play to where this group is now, I think Peacock's certainly gotten there and stayed there. They, they have, uh, you know, faced challenges, faced adversity. Uh, it's not the deepest lineup like we've talked about, but but when you play tough, when you play physical, when you take on the emotional uh, connection with your coach and you play defense the way they do, uh, you're in every game. And that's what I admire about that program. Uh, let's touch upon Iona because this is a team that – Brought in a whole new roster. Tobin Anderson took, you know, the same page that Rick Patino did at, at St. John's and totally revamping his, his roster. Uh, kept Osborne Shima, who the big seven footer who, you know, was injured for the first month of the season. It looked like they were finally gelling. It looked like they were finally trending up that, you know, their mix and match of graduate transfers and, and freshmen and seniors was going to finally work. And I think the only way to put it, Jaden, is Greg Gordon, for personal reasons, left the team and basically the rug got pulled out from under this team. Number one, can you bring any insight as to what happened? Uh, we hope Greg Gordon is OK and we hope that that we wish him well uh, as to why he left the team. Number one and number two, how this team is going to regroup from losing their leading scorer and leading rebounder. Well, we don't know much about the circumstances behind Red Gordon's departure other than he actually did leave. He mentioned, though, after Iona beat Manhattan a week and a half ago that he had to go back home to Chicago after the Buffalo trip to address a family issue. There's been no confirmation as to whether or not that's related to his departure. So I know about as much as you do in that, on that front, Brian. As far as losing him, Iona is deep. 
but they're young. And that's, that's what Tobin Anderson has had to deal with. He's learned patience on the fly with this group, just based on the youth of his roster and how he's been able to plug and play. You look at Jeremiah Quidley and Gene Aaron Gore and the freshman point guards that were going to play for him, no matter what at FTU. And then, flipped with him when he took the Iona job. They've been very instrumental. Getting Edon Shretu back after he missed some time with an ankle injury has helped. Iona is going to need him. They're going to need Weza Panzo, their other fifth-year guy, to step up and make some shots. But losing Gordon on an already small team after Osborne Shema, you look at most of the Iona rotation, and they're all six, 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 seven guys, maybe a couple of six, eight guys sprinkled in. Losing Gordon, who was the team's leading rebounder, is only going to make make it a, a lot more difficult. This group is probably going to live and die a little more by the outside shot and, and play more perimeter oriented, almost like Tobin's FDU team did last yeah. year. Yeah, with a, a six six guy in the middle and Ansley Almanor might see a little bit more of that. I'm not writing Iona off. This conference is wide open and anybody can win it. I sound like a broken record when I say it, but it's just going to be a little more arduous getting there. No question. I, I love Aaron Gurren and Quigley. I mean, you can't find a, a you know a better uh, set of freshmen in the MAC than those two. And uh, look, we know in the world of NIL that players like that in the MAC, when they have success, you know, look for bigger and better things. But if Tobin can ever retain those two next year, you know, he's got something to build around. Oh, absolutely. And I don't I don't know if either of them will get looks in the portal. It's obviously too early to tell. But if they are back at Iona next season, this team's going to be forwardly placed, and then Tobin's just going to have to hit big in the portal again, like he, like he did last year. Well, he knows how to do it as 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 well as anybody, and and we know in this day and age, the portal is here to stay. So, uh, Jaden, let's look ahead now. All right, we're not going to forecast who wins the regular season because that's wide open. Handicap. What's going to happen, do you think, in Atlantic City? Uh, it's unfortunate, first of all, that the conference tournament is not played at arena sites because this conference would be buzzing and banging. Instead, you go to Atlantic City where, let's face it, no one has any home court advantage there. Uh, it's not going to be filled. It's going to be more empty than filled. Uh, what do you look for from any of these teams to be able to rise to the top and get to the NCAA tournament? I'll make the one guarantee that the number one seed is not going to be playing for a conference championship. I've seen this movie many times before. Stranger things always happen in the MAC tournament, Brian. There's going to be some team that comes from the clouds and hits a couple of teams off, posts an upset on you know, Wednesday or Thursday in the quarterfinals and makes the bracket a little wacky. It, that's just par for the course with the Mac. So I don't think whoever wins the regular season, I don't think will be playing for a championship on March 16th. I do think you're going to see a couple of teams from, from the middle of the standings rise up, maybe a rider, maybe an Iona. Nobody's talking about Mount St. Mary's. And I think if they can get the total a few back, their leading scorer, they're just as dangerous as anybody else. Winnipeg and Fairfield are the two top offenses in the conference. So you're going to have to outscore them. And whoever gets St. Peter's is in for a fight. I do see the Peacocks winning their first game. I'm, I'm, I'm no soothsayer, so I don't know how the rest of the bracket's going to play out. But right. 
I, I do think we're going to be in for a ride for better or worse. It's just a shame that I won't get to see as much of it because I'll be pulled back home to New York for the Big East. That's the other uh, byproduct of the Mac moving out of Albany and moving out of the Monday night time slot before Selection Sunday. That made things so much more convenient and so much more enjoyable. Now it feels like the league got lost in the shuffle and the championship game is sandwiched in between the Big East and the ACC. So nobody is going to watch as much of it compared to what you would normally get from the league. Would you like to see it go away from the neutral site and and go to on-campus championship games? Selfishly, I wouldn't because it would it would limit how much I'd be able to get out to. And I, I do think the league draws better at a neutral site, especially when it's in Albany. I think they need to go back there. Yeah. I think just from the precedent that was set by the Mac in the early 90s going to a neutral site, going up to a camp, going to a campus site format would essentially be admitting defeat. I don't think the lead wants to do that, but there's no question that in some places getting a home port for a tournament game would be a boon to everybody. So it's, it's a catch 22, Brian, you're going to be damned if you do, and you're going to be damned if you don't, and you're going to fall on the sword and impale yourself one way or the other. Well, I, I, I have been to some MAC championship games when Ryder played Siena when both of those teams were hot and Ryder had, you know, a future NBA player and Jason Thompson. And uh, I don't know what the crowd size was at the uh, Times Union Center in Albany, but but I bet it was, uh, you know, over eight, nine thousand people that were there. So if the teams and the talent are there, people will come. And I like that idea of going to Albany. Jaden, before I let you go, a couple more things. You've been covering this MAC conference, as you said, I believe you said since 2009, correct? Uh, 2011, I started the site in 2009. Oh, you started the, night in, the site in 2009, the conference in 2011. Is this as wide open as you have seen it? Absolutely. The only other comparison I can draw is 2019 when the lead was still up for grabs with about a week to go, but Iona was getting hot at the right time, and this was – the fourth straight championship year for Tim Kloos when he had Ricky McGill and EJ Crawford and Tawan Agee. And it was almost a formality that once Iona started getting hot, everybody knew they were going to come rise up and take it. You, you can't say that this year where you don't know, you really don't know who's going to win. No, you don't. Uh, guards come up big. So with a backcourt that Fairfield has in, in Caleb Fields and Jalen Leach and Bryson Goodine, that's as good as you get in the Mac. Uh, but every team in this conference has really good guard play, as we've seen, whether it's James at Ryder, whether it's Washington at St. Peter's, whether it's Belonk. Um, this is really a, a fun conference to watch. It always has been. And next season will be no different, just maybe a different canvas on which it's drawn. But there aren't many better places to go for pure basketball, I can tell you that. And, and you know. I do. And Jaden, like I said, uh, you are the most efficient, the, the most knowledgeable person that I know that I have come across who knows the Mac inside and out. Check out Jaden Daly at Daily Dose of Hoops on Twitter. Go to his blog, dailydoseofhoops.blogspot.com. I know you also have a podcast. Would you like to talk about that? Absolutely, Brian. I, I do have the Daily Dose of Hoops podcast. It's a recurring feature at this point. I always tell myself I want to do more with it, but over the course of the season, I just never have the time to record. And sometimes getting guests to schedule to 
fit my schedule or me to fit theirs can be a, a little problematic. So I haven't done as much with it as I would normally like. Hopefully that changes next season. But if you have Apple Podcasts or podcasts on Google Play or whatever device you use, just tap in Daily Dose of Hoops. You'll be able to find the episodes that I have done. Hopefully I can get you on one of those at some point in the future, Brian. I really enjoyed this. Thank you again for having me on. Yeah, Jaden, thank you. You are a true professional and a guy who uh, I don't know where you find time to sleep, but uh, get some sleep when you can, Jaden. I will see you soon, my friend. Take care. I'd like to find out. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, if you follow any team in the Mac or you want to follow any team in the Mac, you better give him a follow on Twitter at Daily Dose of Hoops. No one knows the Mac more inside and out other than the Mac commissioner. As a matter of fact, Jaden Daly should be Mac commissioner. How do you like them apples? Man, that was a lot of fun. And we look forward to having Jaden on again very soon. Uh, Maybe even sometime during the Mac tournament. We'll see how it all shakes out. All right. Speaking of shaking out, let's shake things up and head around the tri-state now. A lot to talk about. And I want to begin with UConn. The number one team in the country for several weeks, is number one no longer. The new men's AP basketball poll is out. The number one team in the country released on Monday is Houston, followed by Purdue and UConn, barely back there at three. I thought they would fall to two. I'm a little surprised. I thought that they would still stay ahead of Purdue, Uh, but UConn goes to three, but poll schmoll. Right. Whatever. At the end of the day, you want to hang a banner and UConn for my money has not made me waver my bet. UConn, I'll take UConn. You have the field. So UConn falls to number three in the latest poll. Uh, What happened to them? Well, they got blown out. They got blown out by Creighton in a game that that really we're not surprised. This team has struggled to beat ranked teams on the road. Okay, it hasn't happened for a little over a decade. And they just ran into a buzzsaw against Creighton. And a lot of teams run into a buzzsaw in Omaha. But Dan Hurley and this team took it to heart. Cam Spencer took it to heart. Uh, They had a great couple of days of practice. And like I said earlier on the show, this was the bet of the year. Everybody knew it. UConn fans knew it and Nova fans knew it. Nova knew what they were going into. What were they going into? Well, they were going into a team that hadn't lost a game in two months. There is no way this team with this makeup was going to lose two straight games in the Big East, not at home, not on a Saturday night, primetime, whiteout game with $2 Miller lights after earlier in the day, ESPN's game day had come to campus about 10 hours earlier and hosted their entire show there. You had Rip Hamilton, one of the top three players in UConn history, having his number retired at halftime. No way, not tonight. I don't care if you were Kansas. I don't care if you were Houston, Purdue, pick any team. There is no team in the country that was going to go into UConn on Saturday night and beat the Huskies. They took it to heart. Cam Spencer was brilliant. 25 points, 
made big three after big three. And look, Villanova, to their credit, they had been playing their best basketball in weeks. They had won four games in a row. They were doing it on the defensive end. And they were coming in motivated. They are playing for their NCAA tournament lives. And for, for two-thirds of this game, it was a game. They were, they were holding UConn to within arm's reach. But every time they got close, it seemed like it was Cam Spencer or Tristan Newton who were making big plays and big shots. Of course, Tristan Newton, the story of this game on the other side was the fact that he had his fourth triple-double in UConn history. Twice now, he's had two triple-doubles in the same season, the first and only player to ever do that, finished with 10 points, 16 rebounds, and 10 assists. And that 10th assist, boy, did he have to work for that one. It came on a pass to Alex Caravan, who has struggled with his shot mightily over the last couple of games. All right, it's been a seesaw affair for him. He was 0 for 7 before making that shot. So credit to Alex Caravan for not only taking that shot when he was ice cold, but making it 0 for 7 turned into 1 for 8. And oh, by the way, 0 for 6 from 3. His only basket of the game, and it gave Tristan Newton UConn history with his 10th assist. So UConn takes care of business. We told you a couple of weeks ago, Nobody in the Big East and probably in the country has as brutal a finish to their season as UConn does. Their last five games at Creighton, home to Villanova. They get a week off, home to Seton Hall, and then at Marquette, at Providence. That is tough. That is some tough sledding. So they get a week off to recharge their battery, and they're going to need it because, once again, they will play three games in six days. They'll face a Seton Hall team. The only other team to beat them this year in the Big East is Seton Hall. Uh, we know Donovan Klingon got injured in the second half of that game, so he's going to be hungry to get back. He was having a great game against Seton Hall. Seton Hall was winning at the time that he went down, but we know he's going to be willing to uh, itching to get back out there. Dan Hurley, no way does he want to lose twice to his alma mater. Uh, but Seton Hall will be game, folks, okay? So UConn gets a week to prepare for them before facing three games in six days as they try to go undefeated at home. That's what they're staring at. Last home game of the season, a chance to make history by going undefeated at Gamble Pavilion and in stores that would make them 16 and 0. And Dan Hurley's been talking about that for a long time. All right. For a few weeks now, trying to go 16 and 0 and move one step closer to a Big East regular season title, which would be the first for Dan Hurley at UConn. So they will be facing a Seton Hall team that is suddenly trending in the right direction again. And I'm going to put an asterisk next to that because Seton Hall did have a three-game losing streak. We're not just going to ignore the fact that they were riding high in first place 
until losing to Creighton in triple overtime. And then Kaderi Richmond needed two games to get right, to heal up from his general soreness. But since he's returned to the lineup, this team is right back at it. They have won five of six games. Their only loss was that uh, complete no-show against Villanova. They have beaten Xavier at home by double digits and now Butler at home by double digits. And we saw a familiar theme. What we've seen is jump out to an early lead, establish control early on in the game, dictate the tempo. They did that. They jumped out to a 16 to three lead. They did it with turnovers. They did it with steals, points in transition and defense. Now, Butler did catch up on this game thanks to the three. Pasha Alexander somehow knows how to hit threes against Seton Hall. He had three of them in the first half. Butler hit eight threes in all, and they got back into this game. After being down 16 to three, they cut it to seven at the half. Uh, They were hanging around early in the second half, but Seton Hall did a much better job adjusting to the ball screens in the second half, did a much better job pushing Butler and their shooters away from the three-point line. They finished with 12 threes in the game, but only four after halftime. Four of 13 in the second half. So the defense is where Seton Hall won this game. And boy, oh boy, you talk about a statistic. Points in the paint. Seton Hall bullied Butler. 44 to 16 outscoring them in the paint. Credit Jaden Bediaco, credit Dre Davis, credit Alamir Dawes, credit everyone. All right. They were physical. They turned Butler over 18 points in transition. And they got another great, not good, great performance out of their big three. Dre Davis, who continues to make a case for all Big East. I think at the end of the year, Dre Davis has a really solid opportunity. I don't know if he'll make second team all Big East, but certainly honorable mention is within play because this is a year that you look around the Big East and it's one of those special years, I've said it before on this podcast, where the second team all Big East can be as good, if not right there with the first team. And if you played a hypothetical game between the first team Big East and the second team, Big East, that would be one heck of a basketball game. Mark my words on that. But Dre Davis is right there for all Big East consideration. Of course, Kadari Richmond looks more and more like he's going to get first team. Davis had 21 and seven. Kadari, 20 points, another 20 point game for him, six rebounds. And of course, Alamir Dawes making three threes in this game and finishing with 19 points. All right. They scored 60 of the team's 76 points in this game. Doesn't matter that the bench didn't score. Just win at this point in time. Yes, they're going to need more production out of the bench. But for one game, the starters and the big three carried them. So Seton Hall finds itself, thanks to St. John's win over Creighton, Seton Hall finds itself in third place in the Big East Conference, and they have a showdown at Creighton. Creighton will be a huge favorite in that game. 
They've only lost twice at home all year. They seem to match up really well with Seton Hall over the last couple of years. You know the three-point shooters are where they're at. Seton Hall is going to have to be physical. They're going to have to go into this game with an attitude and take the crowd out of it early. That is going to be the most important game of the year for Seton Hall. Okay. A brutal week ahead for the Pirates at Creighton at number one, UConn or number three. Now, if you split this week somehow, some way, then this team could be headed for a third place finish could be headed for, you know, getting themselves well off the bubble and maybe a nine seed. But if they lose both of those games, as expected, you have to hold serve at home, win the final two games, beat Villanova, which hasn't been easy in any given year, and beat DePaul. And this team will have had 13 wins and seven losses and likely a top four finish in the Big East. How do you deny them a spot in the NCAA tournament with that? I don't care what the net says. I don't care what Ken Palm says, what the metrics say. 13 and seven in this conference, in this day and age, doing enough in the non-conference with not a bad loss gets you in the tournament. We'll see how Seton Hall's week, their toughest week of the season, shakes out. Can they stun Creighton or UConn on the road? Speaking of St. John's, the Johnnies finally did it. They put together their best game of the season, a 40-minute jewel in front of 12,000 fans at Madison Square Garden. Because at the end of that first half, when they were up 41-28, and they were sitting pretty, and Rick Patino with his white-on-white Armani suit and Armani shoes looking like Mr. Rourke from Fantasy Island, They had that crowd buzzing on a whiteout. They had everything going their way. They were playing great defense. They looked good on offense. But you knew St. John's fans that there were still 20 minutes of basketball. Well, St. John's, all they had to do was play even with Creighton in the second half, and they did. They turned a 13-point halftime lead into a 14-point victory. Their best win of the season, a quad one win over a ranked team. It helps their metrics, but there's still more work to do. Danis Jenkins and Jordan Dingle have been the story the last couple of games. Jenkins had 27 points and six assists and only one turnover. He was brilliant. Jordan Dingle is really, really finding his groove. All right. The former Ivy league player of the year is somebody who we know has been up and down this year. He's been a little bit of a disappointment. He's been somebody who came in with a lot of fanfare, but yet the last couple of games, he has really produced when St. John's has needed him in a big way. He came up with 18 points on eight of 13 shooting. He was the perfect complement to Jenkins. Joel Soriano was good enough in this game and did what he needed to do offensively and defensively to hold Ryan Kalkbrenner 
to 12 points. That to me was more impressive. All right. Trey Alexander is a second team, all biggies player. He had 31 points outside of him. No one did anything of note for Creighton. So St. John's won this game as much with their offense as they did with their defense. And as much as they did putting two halves together. Once they got the lead, they never gave it up. And that was key. So the Johnnies are right there. They are fighting for a spot. Sixth place, fifth place in this conference are within reach. And they go on the road and beat Butler. Butler has been reeling. Maybe Butler has peaked. Maybe they're getting Butler at the right time, but they still have to go on the road and win a game in a very tough environment. St. John's NCAA hopes ride on this game. Two teams battling for an NCAA tournament berth. If St. John's wins, they then have Georgetown and DePaul to close out the season. The schedule shakes out. The schedule is at a point now where everything is right there in front of them. Win your last three games, get to 19 wins, and get to 11-9 and nine in the Big East. Maybe they would have to win a game in the Big East tournament for sure, but they would put themselves in position. And who would have thought that after they lost to Seton Hall, after their head coach ripped them to shreds, humiliated them, and basically said, this is not the team I want. They're not good enough for me. These aren't the guys I expected to recruit. Somehow, some way, those words have turned into a rallying cry for St. John's, and they have put themselves in a position to be in position. And no one thought that after the Seton Hall loss. It all comes down to the Butler game Wednesday night. All right, that's the Big East story. I want to talk about Rutgers and Princeton before we go. Rutgers, I said it, they had put themselves back into the picture. They had won four games in a row. Jeremiah Williams, everything was going well. And this train has totally been derailed. Back-to-back losses to Minnesota and Purdue were too much. They came home against a Maryland team that they had already beaten this year at Maryland at Jersey Mike's Arena, where they have struggled this year. And what happened? Rutgers produced their worst offensive performance of the season and in a long time. 18 first-half points. 18 first-half points. They were out-coached, out-shot, out-rebounded, out-toughed, out-muscled, out-everything. I mean, Kevin Willard is a coach who knows how to win at Rutgers. Sure, Steve Peichel has beaten Willard, but Willard has beaten Peichel. It has gone both ways, whether Willard's been at Seton Hall or whether he's been at Maryland. This was an ugly, ugly, ugly performance by Rutgers, and it had a lot to do not only with their the ineptitude of their offense, but Maryland's defense 
They were hungrier. They were getting offensive rebounds after offensive rebounds, second chance points, you name it. Rutgers couldn't do anything right in this game. Maryland took over. They punched them in the gut. They stepped on their throat. And they made sure that Rutgers and their crowd never got into this game. And now what happens? This team is buried in the bottom four. They're now 14 and 12, six and nine overall, and tied for 11th place in the Big Ten. They're just one game ahead of Ohio State. Who, oh, by the way, Ohio State has now beaten Purdue and Michigan State. So Rutgers ends the season with Ohio State at home. And Ohio State just went into Michigan State and upset the Spartans on a buzzer beating three. So nothing is easy for Rutgers right now. You're playing for pride this year. You're playing to get wins. There are opportunities there, but you're also playing for the future. You're playing for a spot in the NIT. All right, there's always something to play for as long as there are games. So that's what Rutgers is looking at. Build for the future while trying to get more games and get wins this season. Tough times for Rutgers, but if anyone can do it, it's Steve Peichel. Meanwhile, finally, in the Ivy League, the Princeton Tigers are back in first place. Everything fell their way. Cornell loses to Brown. Princeton did what it needed to do, winning at Harvard and at Dartmouth. And now it's all set up for them. They are tied at the top of the Ivy League standings with Yale. And if they can win their final three games, this team will, at no worse, share the regular season title with Yale. And you want that number one overall seed because you avoid playing Yale or Cornell in the semifinals. The number one seed in the Ivy League tournament is oh so very important because you avoid playing in that brutal 2-3 game. Caden Pierce had another double-double, 22 points, 11 rebounds. Xavier Lee had 27 points in the win over Harvard. This team is right in position, and Saturday night, they host Cornell. That is the big one. That is the, the next game of the season for Princeton. Beat Cornell at home, a team that you lost to on the road, and this team is sitting pretty in the Ivy League with a chance to be the number one seed in the Ivy League tournament. Yale, Cornell, and Princeton have all clinched spots in the Ivy League Final Four. It looks like Brown and Harvard are battling for that fourth spot. Who will get the number one seed? We'll find out over the next two weeks. We are coming down the stretch. And down the stretch they come in the 2024 college basketball season. Two weeks to go in the regular season. Seton Hall is closing in. Princeton is closing in. Ryder is peaking. St. Peter's is peaking. UConn is a sure bet number one seed. St. John's is rising. A lot of teams in the tri-state are in position to do some damage in March. It's an exciting time of the year, ladies and gentlemen. Before we go, I want to thank you, the listeners, 
for downloading and spreading the word about the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Continue to follow us. Give us a follow. Subscribe to us and tell your friends about the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. I thank you for listening. I thank you for downloading. And of course, thank you to our sponsor, NorthJerseyVipers.com Softball Club. My name is Brian Dinabellis. Enjoy the games, everyone. So long.